Workers step up to raise wages as Morrison fails to deliver. Barnaby is back clawing us into the dark past. New South Wales enters its winter of COVID. And the good news is about vaccines for bees. This is The Week on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to The Week on Wednesday. I am Ben Davison and joining me as always is the ever delightful, ever present part of my life, Van Batham. How are you, Van? I'm all right. I have a puppy on my lap. Yes, it's very, very cold today. Yes, I'd love to think this was about genuine animal affection, but I have a feeling he is just cold. Oh, I don't know. I think he loves you very much. He's a very cute little puppy. Anybody who hasn't seen Germanicus, you're clearly not following our social media closely enough. (laughs) You know, I don't want people to think that we lead some kind of charmed life just based on our Instagrams, or particularly mine. Instagram is a place where we put happy pictures, That's not right. horrible ones. And I want to assure everyone that uh, I, of course, have my moments of, of absolute terror, fear, despair and misery like anybody else. But I've got to say, I understand how photos of the dog can be quite disarming. <laughs> like, he makes everything better. And he is so adorably cute. Talking about making things better, I want to talk for a moment about the workers at General Mills. General Mills is a big multinational company. It bought Old El Paso and Latina Fresh. These are two brands you might see on the supermarket shelves. We're in our cupboard, given the amount of Mexican food I make you eat. Exactly. I think you might have even had some Latina Fresh gnocchi at some stage not so long ago. Yeah, not not that long ago, actually, Ben. Yes, not that long ago. These are brands... Before the boycott. Well, this is the thing, and this is why we're talking about it, because General Mills has basically rejected the workers' claims for a pay rise, even though their CEO is paid... $24 million a year. $24 million a year. you can even buy with $24 million. Oh, what can't you buy? I mean, it's not quite <laughs> enough for a super yacht. Well, you know, give it a couple of years. Oh, my God. And you'll notice that we don't say earned. We don't say earned $24 million. No, he was paid. He was paid. Because there's no way a, a CEO, and it doesn't matter if you're the greatest CEO ever, you are not worth... 24 million times better than, you know, anybody else. And let's be really clear about this. That was bad math. Sorry. (laughs) But let's be really clear about this. There is a boycott on Old El Paso and Latina Fresh uh, goods because the workers are not getting paid properly. No, that company received record profits in the past year. 14% profit growth, I read somewhere, Van. And they are denying the workers a 2.5% pay increase. But Mr. 24 million obviously is justifying his own own labour um, priced at, at that amount. So there has been, sorry about the pinging everyone, um, there has been three weeks of industrial action based around this. Workers don't like going on strike. No one likes going on strike. People are like, woohoo, strike time. Strikes are so fun. It's a, a last resort that workers take when they're like, actually, no, line in the sand time, everybody, this is ridiculous. And how a company can be that profitable, pay its CEO 24 million dollars a year and then deny such a modest pay increase to its workers is just outrageous it really is and there's a lot of stuff going on today on social media it's a big day of action check out the hashtag pass on 
pass on old El Paso, or one word, hashtag pass on old El Paso. Check on check out some of the other hashtags as well, which are workers raise wages. You know, it's these workers standing together in solidarity that's going to give them this chance to win a pay rise. We've seen this with tip-top bread workers. They stood together against multinational greed. They got their pay rises as well. And it's the it's our good friends from United Workers Union, the UWU, who are who are organising and providing this support and also, of course, looking for donations to the strike fund. Because as you say, Van, no worker wants to go on strike because it actually means you don't get paid at all. I think people don't work that out. Like, I think a lot of people seem to think that you're still getting paid, you're just not doing any work. It's like, no, no, that's not how a strike works. And that's and that's why unions, members of unions come together and tr- contribute to a strike fund so that those workers who are essentially forced to go on strike to get what's rightfully theirs, what's rightfully their share of the company's productivity can actually still pay their rent and can still make their bills. They're not, they won't be living high on these donations, let me tell you, but they, it is so important that we all chip in and we all contribute in whatever way we can, both in terms of supporting the boycott, not buying these products, putting pressure on the company that way, but also direct help to these workers who are going to need it. Like it's winter time, there's going to be heating bills, there's going to be rent, mortgage, all those things that have to be paid still. Yeah, not to mention everybody, you know, catching flu. <laughs> now that things have opened up again, we're all going to get the flu again. You know, when I was working in hospitality, that was, that was, the the hidden cost of my job you know I when I was on minimum wage and working really hard like really hard physical labor and in that kind of role and when you get sick it it's a massive proportion of your income that just goes on things like codrel and um, you know, limb sip and, and the kind of medications to get you through a cold. And, of course, you know, we've seen the massive increases in insecure work in Australia and it is, as you say, there are hidden costs of insecure work. There are hidden costs to the individual, to households. And interestingly, this this week, uh, the McKell Institute has put out a report talking about one of these sort of hidden things that's happened uh, and it ties back directly to the to the wages struggle that the workers at General Mills are under, undertaking. Is that they've the research Mikel has done has discovered that the average Australian, the average Australian worker, is two hundred and fifty four dollars a week worse off as a result of the wage policies of the Morrison government. You know, all these little hidden costs that, you know, they don't make headline news, whether it's because you're an insecure worker, the, the proportion of cost without income that you have to meet in order to try and get healthy. The dog is now climbing on the equipment. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're warmer than me. He's oh, gone in for dear. the Benny cuddle. But but I, I really do want to talk about this Mikel report because it does tie in directly, as I say, with what's going on at General Milks. It, it clearly shows that weakening the labour market, weakening workers' capacity to get pay increases, making jobs more insecure, driving down public sector wages, which we've seen the Morrison government do time and time again. Constant caps on public sector wages, a refusal to expand the size of the workforce. Like at the same time as outsourcing. outsourcing. Yeah. yeah. But... You know, using labour hire at a cheaper rate than workers who are directly employed. Really ethical companies like Serco. There's a really good YouTube video about Serco that S E R C O that I certainly recommend everybody have a look at. By the way. And what's the cost? The cost is to the average worker. This isn't somebody who's employed in one of those particular industries or for one of those particular companies. But the overall cost, 
because it does drag down your wages, is $254 a week. And if you're a man, because there is a gender pay gap, that number is $310. If you're a woman, well, you haven't been as badly impacted, Because you're not getting paid as much. To start with. But as a proportion of income... It's even worse, right? Yeah, let's do a bet that as proportion of income it will be worse for women yeah. but it all, but in mere cash terms dollar terms it'll be worse for men so it's so important to support workers that means it's worse for women by the way everybody just yeah. just in case everybody didn't so get that point it's, this is part of the reason why it's so important to support workers who are on strike at places like General Mills because it's the workers who go on strike that actually help support pay increases for everyone you know I know that sounds like a weird thing to say but if you think about it like this Macroeconomics teaches us and is deployed in such a way that when wages are being lowered in one part of the economy, they're often dragged down in other parts of the economy. So if there are workers who are lifting wages in their part of the economy, in their sector, that gives hope and opportunity for workers to lift wages in theirs as well. It's almost like there's an intersection of economic circumstances in which everybody is affected. Oh my God, Ben, it's like rugged individualism in the workplace is a myth. It's almost as if there's a whole class of people who... Who work, who maybe should have a name. Should we name these people? And who benefit from each other's work and who can help each other benefit. Ben and I always do donate to strike funds. We're always union members and we always support our unions. And we do this because it's in our collective interest to do so. So it's a good time for us to mention that you should go to australianunions.org.au and Who join. are our sponsor. But they're <laughs> our sponsor because we would be saying this anyway. Because they're the sponsor we choose. Um, and join your union. Uh, so you can go to australianunions.org.au slash wow. That's W-O-W for the week on Wednesday. Wednesday. That's our direct link to join. You can join through that. Then um, you can be a special WOW member. We, we we don't get told who has joined through that, but we do get told people have joined through and that. And we also don't get a cut. No, we don't. So no we, we, don't, we don't get a slice of the action. No, it's not a that's not, thing. It's yeah, not yeah. 1920s New York docs. That's not a thing that's happening. Um, but we are always really thrilled when we hear that people have listened to the show and joined their union as a result. And can I just say to everyone who has, congratulations. Like, congratulations for becoming part of a collective that improves wages in this country, that stands up for the right things in this country, and being part of the collective that can raise its voice and have its say. So congratulations on joining. You know, the saddest words I ever hear in phone calls from friends, or the saddest words I ever have to say actually are, are you a member of the union? Because the number of people who call me because they know that I'm industrially active, who've had accidents at work that their employers have pretended didn't happen. A friend of mine ended up with a really serious brain injury because of a stockroom accident. Um, Other friends of mine who've been massively underpaid on projects or had their contracts invalidated, and you just hate saying the words. You hate saying, are you a member of the union? Don't let that happen to you. You know, think about it. It's it's insurance for you on the job that someone will be there for you if anything goes wrong, but also it's a tax deduction. 
There's so many, so many good reasons to join. It's part. It's just part of our core beliefs, and it makes this a better country. I'll give you another example. We're talking about wages. We're talking about conditions in the workplace at, at the start of the show here today. You know, the superannuation increase that was legislated some years ago kicks in on the 1st of July, and people sometimes say, oh, well, I work in banking or I work in finance, or and so, it's, you know, union's not really for me. You know, I want to have a career in those kind of industries. Well, let me tell you, the FSU, the Finance Sector Union, great union, joined them. And I'll tell you why. Because the ANZ and Macquarie Bank are telling people, telling employees that the superannuation increase will come out of their existing pay. So the legislated increase, which they have to pay, they have to move money into super, right? Instead of it being an increase in your total package, for people at ANZ and Macquarie, they'll be they will be forced to fund that increase themselves. Now, which is entirely against the spirit of superannuation. Absolutely. Now the FSU is campaigning on this. Um, they're running petitions. I urge you to check those out as well. That's fsu.org.au. You'll see all the stuff there. Um, I've had some members of that union contact contact us through the week on Wednesday at gmail.com to share that information with us. Um, you know, so it doesn't matter what industry you're in, it doesn't matter what sector you're in, you know, there are going to be bosses who are going to try and take your money, who are going to try and take your super. Because that's literally how their profit model works. Who are going to... That's how someone ends up getting paid $24 million a year, $24 million a year, at the same time they're denying a basic pay increase of, what, 2.5% to people who actually make the product. You know, and those workers, you know, it's they, really deserve 19, they deserve it's, three. They deserve more, in my view. You yeah, know? somebody who shall remain nameless. 14% profit increase, you could, you can see a 3%, 2.5%. That should be a no-brainer. That should be a no-brainer. No yeah, it's somebody who shall remain nameless once told me that, you know, all my talk of class politics and unions just meant I was stuck in the 19th century. And I was like, love, the economy stuck in the 19th century. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, like, I will move on. I will move on from the class war when the class war is over. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because people kind of go, oh, well, you know, platforms and gig economy and technology mm. and, you know, it's all different Plat- now. Digital and we can all serfdom. Work from home. And it's like... Just because just because the uniforms change or the technology changes doesn't mean that the practices change. Like it's about the practices and it's about who gets what share. You know, workers are going to turn up and do the work. They're going to turn up and do the work, and they're going to do they're going to be as productive as they can be. That's actually what always happens. And what also always happens is that there are going to be some bosses who turn up and go, I want to take more than I put in. I want to take more than my fair share. I don't want to pay my fair share of tax and I want to take some of this from the workers. And all of the technology and all of the fancy gizmos and all of the peak councils of this, that and the other thing are all just manifestations of the same conflict and struggle. I will stop being a Marxist when Marx stops being right. By the way, this is all handled in the first couple of chapters of Capital Volume 1 by Karl Marx, a book I do recommend that people read. It's sort of like the Bible you read a couple of pages at a time and really think about what he's saying. You know, when talks about how the ultimate drive of the profit motive is to pay 
people nothing at all. I mean, that's that's the thing. And this is why, you know, always be deeply suspicious of anyone telling you you don't need a pay rise or that your pay should be cut or your condition should be cut or minimum wage is too high or Australians get paid too much. Those people would pay you nothing if they legally could get away with it. Because once upon a time in the history of capitalism, they did pay, pay people nothing. And there was a word for it, a word that has some very loaded associations that I'll let you, dear listener, come up, come up with yourself. That is the bedrock value of the modern system that we live in and might be one of the reasons why the richest country on earth is the richest country on earth, but not in a particularly fair or equitable way. Absolutely. And it wasn't that long ago, folks. Like... And so there are policies in different parts of the economy in all sorts of Western countries, including our own, where the argument can be made that those sort of practices where people essentially get paid nothing for their labour and their efforts still exist. Yeah, I'd certainly recommend everybody check out what's actually going on with prison labour and in yeah, the United absolutely. States in particular. There was an extraordinary story that got shared this week about people who were in drug rehabilitation, who were in court-mandated rehabilitation for addiction who had been who were essentially recruited to a forced labor program where they didn't actually receive any counseling around addiction but were expected to work for free to pay off their debt to society for being addicts and you know we want to see positive change in the world and that's why strong unions are so important you know I shared they're the ones who got us out of the very very bad situation 200 years ago absolutely and I shared that story the one you're talking about in the US van um, precisely saying that you know when you weaken unions when you privatize prisons when you allow corporations to extract 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 I love that word don't they anyway look let's move on we've talked about wages don't forget to support the workers the General Mills workers. And solidarity with the United Workers Union. They work really hard for people in pockets of the economy that a lot of other people forget. That's right. Uh, Absolutely right. So let's move on because, of course, this week we've also seen the return of Barnaby Joyce. My favourite person. Barnaby Joyce is now the leader of the National Party, federal again. leader of the National Party again, and has, of course, become Deputy Prime Minister once again. And is again. part of, for all of you who are counting, the sixth leadership team change since the Liberals promised us stable government in 2013. So, so it was Abbott Truss and then it was... Oh, I can't Then was remember. it Abbott Joyce or Turnbull Truss or Turnbull no, Joyce Turnbull or Morrison? Truss, I think. Like, I can't even yeah. remember. I do know that they're all white conservative men, um, you know, smell the diversity, as I tweeted the other day. So, yeah, he's back. Bar, apparently they call him. They called him that at private school. Bar. Yeah, he's a bit of a sheep. Um, Frankly, you know, one of the interesting things that came about on the day when he was um, having himself installed, and I think this is Monday when when all this was happening, um, that all this was happening. So he... Of course, people might know that Barnaby Joyce did say something positive about the family from Bila Wheeler and did say that they should be uh, allowed to go home to Bilo. Uh, this was widely reported in news outlets and, of course, online. People shared it, sort of thinking, like, oh, here's an influential backbender, backbencher. Backbender. Yeah, well, he's a bit of a... But I was bend over backwards to get what he wants. To get uh, what he wants, there's right. nothing Barnaby won't do. <laughs> nothing Barnaby won't bend. Um, so the... 
people, I think, had a bit of hope about that. And look, may, maybe maybe that will play out. But of course, it's now Wednesday. It's been two days. He's been uh, leader of the National Party. He hasn't said anything uh, that I've been able to find since he's been installed as leader again. He certainly didn't use question time yesterday or any parliamentary process yesterday when after he'd been installed as Deputy Prime Minister. Uh, as of recording this show on Wednesday afternoon, he has not done anything about it. Uh, as far as I can tell, Barnaby Joyce is, is essentially the same old Barnaby Joyce. Says whatever he thinks is going to get him news coverage, makes a lot of noise, likes to mouth off at things, pretends he's an outsider looking in. Like, the guy's on nearly half a million a year. He's friends with Gina Reinhart. Like, this is not somebody who's an outsider. This is somebody who likes to pretend to be. When we say friends, we mean in the traditional sort of medieval sense of patron and... Uh, uh, yeah, in the, in, the, in the sense of she gives him money to do things that she wants him to do. He's a as huge a, fan, as a of coincidentally, government. of coal mining. Did yeah, you know? Coincidentally. I mean, that's probably the basis of their friendship, is it shared Nutrient interest? Coal. You know, that it's a bit of a they hobby for both of them. Enjoy coal the mining. texture. Yes, you know, this great champion of rural Australia. Now, Ben, you and I live in rural Australia. The profitability. Yes. <laughs> yes. The <laughs> smell the of a burning it, planet yeah. on the wind. We live in a rural area. We are very much attached to our rural community. And I would probably, you know, identify climate change and its impact on agriculture as the number one issue facing the vegetable primary producers in this particular area. Yeah, look, there's no question that climate change is a much, much bigger issue for primary producers uh, than I think many people give it credit for. And certainly the way the National Party carries on uh, about climate change, you, you, you can't see how they're particularly in touch with that concern. National Farmers Federation, they've made climate change a top priority. Country Women's Association. Made it a top priority. There's lots of regional groups, lots of farming groups um, who are really across climate change is a huge problem. Um, you know, and at different times, there might be a particular time where one issue might be above it. I don't want to say that climate change is always the number one priority for farming communities. But when you think but about... But it's a going concern. It's an ongoing concern. Of course it is an ongoing concern. Because when you think about what farming is about... <laughs> You have to know. You have to have some sense. Don't of, think about it too deeply. You'll climate, have a moment of realization of a stable climate. If the climate's fundamentally shifting and changing, it makes it very hard to know what has, to plant. It and has when, massive impacts when, on trade relationships as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like things going wrong in other countries due to climate change affect us here. You know, one of the um, the little discussed uh, causes of the conflict in Syria was that climate change had made a lot of formerly arable land untenable as an agricultural concern. So you had communities of people who'd been in rural agricultural areas moving into cities looking for work because crops were failing. And so this new sort of population that came into cities caused all of this discord and, you know, like social yeah. conflict and people making demands for the government. Unemployment, wasn't... you know, problems with housing, problems with the infrastructure, all of these things. And Syria went to hell in a handbasket pretty quickly as a result of the demographic pressures of what climate change had caused. Now, and I'm not there saying... There are underlying other causes as well. Yeah, of course. But, you know, like the word the I love The dictatorship was not able to deal with these fundamental shifts in demographic caused by climate. No, and it massively accelerated a process mm. of, like, conflict and contestation. And... You know, I'm not saying that Australia is about to turn into Syria because no. we don't have a dictatorship, which no. is 
great. Yeah. Let's keep it that way. But I am saying that this is an ongoing problem in this country, especially when we look at regional communities and farming communities and who's going to look after them. What happens if everything goes wrong? What happens if trade relationships get completely destabilised? You know, what happens if crops fail or timetables are thrown out or scheduling changes? Mm. All of these things are really vulnerable to a disturbed climate. Well, the good news is, Van, that uh, Barnaby Joyce is the Deputy Prime Minister and uh, he'll, he'll be able to fix all that. Of Barnaby course, Joyce, who wants another coal mine? Well, of course, we also see with Barnaby Joyce the return of a, a very backwards way of thinking when it comes to the role of women in society. <laughs> I mean, it's probably I, the politest way of putting it. Yeah, can I like? I, can you talk about that? That because you that just despair. I'm just looking at your face. It's so. Can we all ridiculous. just remember? Ben has lesbian parents, and Barnaby Joyce gave a speech against marriage equality on the basis that marriage equality would lead to country girls not being able to find husbands. And can we just speak from personal experience that there are a lot of country girls who actually just want to marry prospective wives? Like, it works out other that way. Other country girls, as it Yeah, turns other country girls, as it turns out. And it's just like, oh, my, that moment. I mean, Barnaby Joyce has done a lot of things that offend me politically, but that particular speech, that yeah. was just, it was an offence to me maths as much as it was to your family, our family, and, our community. And, and today and yesterday, it's now it's now come out that the, the Barnaby crew don't want there to be childcare. Oh, yeah. So he chaired a party meeting today talking oh. about the Coalition's new childcare package. So the Coalition are under pressure from their own electorate to sort out childcare. Yeah. Because you have all of these materially minded, upwardly mobile types who are realising that there's a huge struggle involved in providing childcare. There are people who are not in the workforce. They estimate there are at least 100,000 women who are not in the workforce because of the complication of their care relationships around children. This is really tricky territory for the coalition because it's where you really see the fault lines between the the liberals, the small L liberals, and the conservatives in that particular party because the, you know, however many women they have, what, 11, or however many women they've led into that particular club are making demands. You know, your Jane Humes, your Katie Allens, whatever, going, well, actually, childcare is really important. One of the men in the coalition party room, chaired by Barnaby Joyce today, turned around and said, you know, it's just outrageous that the government shouldn't be funding the outsourcing of parenting. So childcare is apparently outsourcing parenting. And I'm like, this is really interesting coming from these men because I don't think any of these men, you know, like I'd be willing to wage hard cash that none of these men ever went, no, I will not take that job because I'm going to stay home and be a full-time parent. And I'm like, if you're expecting a woman to do all the parenting, friend, that's outsourcing parenting. That is a pretty much textbook definition of what it means to outsource parenting. And it just boggles the mind, right? Because in the same meeting, in the same meeting, they argued that they should make it easier. The Morrison, a priority for the Morrison Joyce government should be to make it easier for people to have live-in nannies, particularly particularly regional communities should have, have make it easier for them to get live-in nannies, even if they've got to come from overseas. 
Yes, well, we all know there's a priority <sighs> visa if you are a living nanny for any friend of the Liberal or National Party. Like, we know that that's, I mean, that's really important labour. Like, if you're, say, a French au pair, I mean, uh, we're going we're gonna to add some lubricant to that particular visa process, aren't we? Sorry, you know, Sri Lankan Tamil family fleeing violence in another country, trying to raise your kids in a stable society. No, no, no visa for you. We've got to get the nanny in. It's just outrageous. Oh, man. So, look, what, oh, we, what we're seeing, oh, but we've got to be real about this too, Van, like, because, you know. Oh, I'm we, real about it. We, we, we're not going to vote for Barnaby Joyce, and Barnaby's not trying to convince us, right? And most no. of the people who are listening to our podcast, most of you probably. Are not on the Barnaby train. Are not on the Barnaby train. But what we know. I don't even want to know where that train is going. But, but, but we, it no, seems we do awful. need to know, because we do need to know, because the National Party, a bunch of people who mostly don't personally like Barnaby Joyce, who personally prefer Michael McCormick, have chosen Barnaby Joyce to be oh, their Oh, and will anybody ever get over that photo? I put it on my Facebook page. Um, Australian Young Labor put this hilarious caption on it, and it's a photo of David Littleproud, who everybody knows has been chomping at the bit for the leadership, and it was Littleproud who's been doing numbers against McCormick for some time, but it was Littleproud, Joyce, and our friend Bridget McKenzie, and I described it to Marcus Paul's show the other day as looking like they'd all just stepped out of divorce court, like yeah. it was a menage a trois that had gone to divorce court. Oh, it was just too awful. Darkness, my old friend. <laughs> but the, the, the point, the point of, of that is that Barnaby Joyce does help the National Party vote in a way that Michael McCormick doesn't. We are heading towards an election. Yeah. You know, getting get us getting fired up in, in public forums about Barnaby Joyce is all well and good, but there are people out there who will see Barnaby Joyce and go, oh, he's a good old country boy. Mm. You know, Barnaby Joyce is the Because nothing says upstanding outsider. moral conservative values like getting one of your staff as pregnant. And what we and have to do is reinforce the fact that Barnaby Joyce is not an outsider. Barnaby Joyce is not representing those small po pockets of our community who feel disconnected from the mainstream. He is absolutely mainstream. If Barnaby, you're friends with Gina Reinhart, yes. you're part of the establishment. If you're the Deputy Prime Minister of Australia, if you're able to chastise editors of newspapers, if you're able to manipulate party room ballots... Uh, launch inquiries into the ABC, you know, deny drugs to women who need them on the argument that preventing cervical cancer will somehow make women promiscuous. There is nothing about Barnaby Joyce that is outside. He is not representing those communities. He's not delivering jobs for those communities. No. He's not delivering pay rises. He's not delivering housing. He's not delivering health care. And I want to bring up this really important point. So everybody knows I spent a lot of time in Wagga, and we'll yes. talk about that later on, which is Michael McCormack's seed. And Michael McCormack made some comments the other day about how he hopes all the mice come to Sydney and eat the toes of the children of, like, members of PETA. Now, I've got no love for PETA, but, I mean, it was a ridiculous thing to say. Underneath that is the very serious problem of the mouse plague. And as somebody who has spent time living in it, it's biblical. It is genuinely terrifying, like, dealing with that kind of plague situation. And what the mice have been doing is just beyond disgusting and economically destructive as well. Now, when Barnaby Joyce had last had a ministerial portfolio, one of his big changes was moving the Australian, like, Pest Control Authority to Armidale from Canberra. And they lost enormous numbers of staff. They lost a 
whole tranche of expertise in actually manage, managing pest problems mm. because he was so insistent. And there were stories at the time about how he forced this move. He used his power because he's not an outsider. He is an insider to force this move to Armidale, which is, of course, his electorate. And there were staff members working out of the local McDonald's because the Wi-Fi hadn't been installed properly. Yeah. And, oh, what a coincidence, a couple of years later, we've got this absolutely terrible problem with mice. And I think there was a problem with locusts in Queensland. Like crickets. these crickets, oh, sorry. Grasshoppers? grasshoppers? Grasshoppers. It's one of them. And my apologies to Queenslanders that I haven't got the specific plague down. But this is the implication of somebody like Barnaby Joyce. He's such a chancer and an opportunist, more interested in power than anything else, more interested in power than responsibility, let alone the rural communities that he expects will forgive him all of his sins and just vote for him. And as, you know, an insider's insider, like it is absolutely deplorable to participate in any of the discussion around him as some kind of, you know, maverick or whatever. He's a, he's a maverick for a handful of privileges. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, he's so... And I know where I want the mice to go. Yeah, absolutely. Not to Armidale, but just to one specific address. Yeah. <laughs> Specific address, uh, and of course, you know, we wish the uh, we wish the rest of the Joyce family all the very best with their new found uh, independence and liberation. Natalie Joyce is now a competitive bodybuilder, and she looks fantastic. Fantastic, fantastic. All right, let's move on because uh, we need to talk about New South Wales for a couple of reasons. One, you and I are going to New South Wales. We're going to Michael McCormick's seat. Wagga for wagga. sure, Mick. Maybe, maybe this time because he won't be deputy prime minister, he'll have time to come and see our show. Which I is invite on. him to everything I do. I know, there. but he's, he was very busy before. He now was very he busy. Won't be now so busy. more free time. Michael, my door is always open, and you, if you'd like to apologise for that doorstep where you intimated that I was some kind of of vulgarian uh, and, you know, at the height of the federal election thought that my choice of language in private fora was worthy of a statement to the media. If you'd like to apologise for the slur on my character, I will I will take that, you know, on a personal level, I will take that. Wind back the attacks on my family's right to exist. We're also more than... Feel free to come and see us. We'll be at the Playhouse on Saturday. We certainly will. The Riverina Playhouse. Yeah, we'll be at the Riverina Playhouse, obviously one of my favourite places, because we're in the interesting festival, Gabrielle Chan, who wrote the excellent book, Rusted Off, yep. about strangely enough, um, you know, the political fracturing of rural communities who don't feel like they're being represented. Amazing. What a coincidence. She'll also be at the interesting festival as will the beautiful novelist, Anita Heiss. So, beloved of librarians everywhere, has a new novel um, and there'll be artists and bands and all kinds of things. And you get tickets at Civic Theatre dot uh, com dot au. It's the Wagga Wagga Civic Theatre. Uh, they're they're really cheap. They're really cheap. Um, so you know, twenty two dollars for a one day pass, thirty three dollars for a two day pass. You can come and see all the different things going on. Check and there it are out. heaps of different sessions and entertainment, and it'll be really fun. And you know, Albury, Canberra, because a lot of the sessions are during the day. Yeah. Like it's super accessible, and you should come. Yeah. And if you like our show and it's accessible to you, like come say hi to us. And of course, we will post the show after it uh, after we record it. So hopefully, we would deny you nothing. Well. <laughs> but, you know, of course, we are keeping an eye on what's going on in New South Wales. We're 100% committed to doing the show. We've confirmed a whole bunch of details with the organisers today who are fantastic, by the way, great Wagga Wagga locals. Uh, but we are having to keep an eye on what's going on in New South Wales because now, of course, Van, New South Wales is entering its 
winter of COVID. Yes, if only someone could have predicted that this would happen. At, like, some, at some point, we're going to go back to we're going to go back to the tapes, as they say. We'll wheel out the VAR. Can everybody please give Ben his gold star for saying when there's going to be a problem? I oh, know when there's going to be a problem. The vaccine rollout is not working fast enough. When there's going to be a problem? Oh, it's terrible. Sixteen new cases in New South Wales today. New South Wales has a weird, um, a weird sort of reporting system, even more difficult to understand than any other state I've come across. They seem to report them as they happen. Uh, they report them then on a 8pm to 8pm basis. Then they report more during the night and then they report again in the morning. Um, from, from what I can gather, there were 16 cases yesterday, 16 new cases yesterday. Um Look, it's getting it's getting out of control. More restrictions are in place in Sydney. There are travel restrictions now for people coming to and from New South Wales. Um, I think WA has closed its borders once again. That Mark McGowan, he he got an itchy trigger finger on that border closure. But look, it they works. love it in WA. They love they love closing works, the border. It works for them. They've basically now got no restrictions, from what I can see, or they're heading very close to no restrictions. Victoria is one of the few jurisdictions in the world that has gotten on top of a Delta variant outbreak. It is amazing. And our restrictions are being eased again on Friday, which is fantastic news. New South Wales, you know, fingers crossed for the people of New South Wales that they're the second jurisdiction in the world to get on top of it because it is a Delta variant outbreak. Delta, of course, is that fleeting contact type of variant. Um, (laughs) No, it's only a fleeting... Somebody said this on Twitter yesterday. It's only a fleeting contact if it's from the fleeting contact uh, area of France. Otherwise, it's just a deadly contagion. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It is still a deadly contagion. So do check all of the, uh, you know, the New South Wales state government sites in terms of uh, where the the contact sites might have been, what the restrictions are. Look, I don't know if New South Wales government has actually got to this point of suggesting people wear masks all the time yet. I'm suggesting I'm not a health expert, but I'm suggesting you wear a mask all the time. I feel safer when I'm wearing a mask, going past other people wearing masks when I know there's. You also an look like a high woman, and it's fantastic. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. You know, it doesn't have to be plain and boring. You can spruce it up a bit, people. Look, Come I, on. I mean, we're huge mask fans. Obviously, we have people who are very beloved friends and family members who have compromised immunity. We do these things for other people. We do these things to minimise risks to other people. And yes, lockdowns are awful. Gladys Berejiklian has said that she wants to hold off on lockdowns as soon as possible. I would say that the Victorian example is the one to follow. Just don't hesitate. Lockdown, don't let it spread. I have a friend who's doing a two-week quarantine in Sydney at the moment because of one visit to one shop that been identified in this situation. And of course, Delta spreads so quickly and is so dangerous. And in, in the absence of a uh, comprehensive vaccine rollout, like... Well, let's talk about that as well, because frankly, that continues to be... And, you know, we've gone from rollout to stroll out to fail out, in my view. Morrison has just... <laughs> Get so, the ball out, yeah. Yeah, so stuffed this up. You know, I talked about it on the weekend wrap, and I appreciate everybody who's contacted me about that. Because it has been an absolute stuff up from rejecting Pfizer vaccines to mucking up when people should have AstraZeneca and who should have AstraZeneca. And then not dealing with the smear campaign against AstraZeneca that was run by crazy far-right cranks on the internet. Just to repeat the statistics just one more time, you know, like you have your Craig Kellys and say, oh, AstraZeneca, your chance of getting a blood clot from AstraZeneca is six in a million, okay? 
And that's not zero risk, but that's six in a million. And that's a clot. That's not dying. That's yeah. a clot. People get clots every day and don't die. Yeah, people get clots, All clots every day. You know, the yeah. pill, as it has been pointed out, yeah. can give you clots. If you get coronavirus, your chances of dying from it are 20,000 in a million. So get the vaccine. Ben and I are double vaccinated. We, I was just ecstatic when we went for our yep. second vaccination the other day and was dancing and eating the lollipop and wore a fancy hat and the whole thing. I was so excited. You will feel better. You will not have this gnawing sense of, you know, coronavirus anxiety the moment that second needle is in your arm. And can I just say that when, we're, when you actually take a bit of a slightly deeper look around the country and you see that there are, there are ambulances ramping at hospitals in South Australia. There are ambulances ramping at hospitals in Tasmania and there are the vast majority, 90% plus of the population in those two jurisdictions do not have have not been vaccinated. If there is an outbreak, a serious outbreak of coronavirus, which with Delta, it can go really big, really quick in those sorts of jurisdictions where there are already pressures on hospitals, oh, pressures on emergency Tasmania, rooms. In Tasmania, it's shocking. Then you end up with situations like they've had in India, like they're having in India, like they've had in Brazil, where people just can't get the treatment. Now, we don't want to see that. Of course we don't want to see that. We're not wishing for that on anyone anywhere, which is why it's so important that when there is a outbreak of 16 a day, 16 today, I think it was 13 the day before. Lockdown. You've isolate, got to do what's wear a needed. Mask, limit social contact, social distance. And we should all, all support learned. every, you know, we, there's no question, but this show is not a fan of the Barajilki, the, the Gladys government, the Liberal Gladys government in New South Wales. We've talked about our concerns about their corruption. We've talked about our concerns about their governance processes. Raiding the homes of comedians. Their policies in general, we've had problems Deploying with. Deploying the counter terrorism squad because you don't like internet satire. But there is no question in my mind that we are supporting of any government that does what is needed to protect its people and the people of Australia more broadly. So if Gladys does do a lockdown, let's get on board. Like, let's. Oh, yeah, look, absolutely. You know, like, close the borders. Now, um, you and I are going to New South Wales. We know that there's a risk that we'll yep. get stuck there. It's a risk we're prepared to take yep. because that is what you have to do to minimise contacts in a health crisis. Now, we hope that, you know, Wagga Wagga is a, a relatively safe. It's quite some distance from Sydney, thankfully, um, which is, I guess, why I'm always more happy to go there. Uh, but none- <laughs> Benjamin, <laughs> you're talking about my home! But nonetheless, it's so important. Um, it's so important we support the measures that need to happen, you know, put aside all that stuff on Sky, the Adam Crichtons of the world who, who just... Don't talk get no, they talk nonsense. They do. They do. They talk absolute nonsense, fact-free nonsense. You know, in parts of the United States, like the United States vaccination effort has just been totally amazing. Yeah. And uh, it, sadly, Biden's going to come just under his, I'm going to get everybody vaccinated, 70% of the population vaccinated by the 4th of July. They're going to come in just short, but it's still miraculous yeah. what they've done. We were told at the vaccination centre by one of the people there the other day that Australia has one of the lowest rates of vaccination in the world, which is embarrassing. I had somebody make a point on my Facebook page the other day just saying she never believed that she'd live in an Australia that got a vaccine rollout wrong because we've been so successful immunising against measles and mumps and rubella and all of these other things for our entire lives as Australians. But we're in this situation now and it's it's we, embarrassing. We can't 
and it's potentially dangerous. It just goes to show with democracy, you can't take things for granted. You know, we can't take Medicare for granted. In nine days' time, less than nine days' time now, eight days' time, the Morrison government is going to make cuts to Medicare. And I know we've told people to go and sign the petition, so go check that out as well, australianunions.org.au slash Medicare. That's the petition. Um, you know, thanks to our sponsors, Australian Unions. But in every aspect, what you win as a democratic people, you have to be vigilant of. You have to reinforce. Because there's always somebody who sees a profit in unstitching it, whether yeah. it's workers' rights, or healthcare systems. Opportunistic politician. You know. you know, and I announced on Twitter the other day, like I'm writing this book about QAnon at yeah. the moment. If anybody has a great QAnon story to tell me, you can find me on Facebook. I, my Facebook handle is at, then Van, at that Van Batam, or you can just find me in Van Batam. You'll recognise my page when you see it. But if you have a QAnon story, I'd love to hear it. I find this stuff so interesting. And around the QAnon stuff is a whole industry of people who are just grifters who will push these lies that are not true because there might be a dollar in it or influence or an audience or something that they can monetize. And the kind of anti-vax stuff and, you know, like attacks on AstraZeneca and, and they're having real effects. This is the point I'm meant to make about America. In areas where you have a lot of people who subscribe to those sort of anti-vax beliefs and, you know, this mythology, oh, it's an experimental gene therapy and we're all going to grow eight arms and yeah, microchips yeah, yeah, from yeah. Bill Gates and 5G towers and the still Chinese. Only got, still only got the two arms and I'm not picking up phone reception through my eyeballs. Yes, so, yeah. and no, we are not magnetic and yeah. anyone can balance a coin on their arm. Yeah. Um, the... The issue they're having is in communities where those beliefs have taken hold, they've, the coronavirus is out of control yeah. and spreading rapidly. Like, of course it is. It's an unbelievably dangerous, highly contagious, deathly disease. Mm. And even though this amazing vaccination has taken place, if you get into what they call a thought control community where information exposure is limited to, you know, the, the speech of grifters and loons, yeah. like, people get sick and die. Yeah, absolutely. And and we see it and we know it. And look, you know, we all we can all play a part though, right, Van? Like we all want to see these things change and we all want to see a positive world where people, you know, who feel isolated and not made fearful and more afraid and are not then able to be preyed on by the grifters, by by the hate mongers, by the people who are in it for themselves and their their mates at your expense. The aesthetic values of cruelty. Yeah, and and you know it's been for me so good to see um, Australian unions speak up for the family from from Biloela to to this strike for the workers who make it old El Paso for vaccination for vaccination for workers and patients for paid and the pandemic community. leave. Yeah, you know for the the work that the unions have done, the SDA and the Australian unions have done to get the the Woolworths and um, Big W workers paid their minimum wage increase from the 1st of July, not delayed as the government body actually determined it would be. You know, it's interesting you say that because I've obviously, because I'm writing this book, which is called QAnon and On, and mm. will be out by the end of the year and has a great cover, by the way, I saw a draft today. Um, I've been having conversations with QAnon people online about, you know, yeah. why do you have the beliefs that you have? And 
somebody was like, oh, you know, they're – and gave me an example of a corporate think tank. I can't even remember the name. Yeah. But there are many, hundreds of yeah, corporate yeah. think tanks. And, oh, you know, and they exert all of this influence and, you know, it costs $40,000 a year to join this think tank. And, you know, why can't ordinary people participate in, you know, these spheres of influence? I'm like, join a union. Join a union. You know, like who, who do you – like you have the tools to oppose the forces of corporate interest and grief. And it works, right? That's why that's why we're so proud to have them as our show sponsor. And we do acknowledge that that they're sponsoring us. Yeah. We love it. We love it. Because if you go to australianunions.org.au backslash wow. That's W-O-W for the week on Wednesday, then you can be part of the change. You can have that say. You can you don't have to pay forty grand to some neoliberal na- think tank to say, let's deregulate markets and pay people less. You can join together with people. Spoiler alert, like you. that's what they do. Like So look this is a. This has been a big show. There's a lot in this this week. Um, lots going on. Lots going on. Dog in, keeps sneezing. In the week to come, um, but Van, let's have some good news to round out the show. Oh my God. This is the best news ever. And it's sort of on the theme of vaccinations, isn't it? It's about a bee vaccine. <laughs> it's about a vaccine for bees. So this isn't a vaccine that's going to protect me from bees. It's not going to protect... I don't know why you're so freaked out about bees. I love bees. Oh, listeners, you know, you back me in here. You, you, There will be lots of listeners out there who also freak out a little bit about bees. I'm pro-bees. I'm pro-bees pro too. Just to give you an insight the into the dynamics bees. of our relationship, back to the point <laughs> that Instagram is not every moment. Ben and I have an ongoing disagreement about my desperate desire to get beehives. I'm not I'm not having it. I want it so badly. Nah. Um, I, I, I want a hot tub. No, I want beehives. <laughs> um, uh, yes, so we know that there's a problem with bees. So just to remind yeah. all the people who might have bee problems, weirdos, that that our, our relationship as a species, as humanity, is totally dependent on bees. I acknowledge this. Because they pollinate crops. I get this. That's really important. Did I, you know how important that is? I understand that. Without bees, Literally, not only is it Maybe no f- we should have the bird and bees conversation actually about bees yeah, because they're without, really crucial. Without the bees, And we know no that food. there are declining bee numbers. I talked yeah. about the Irish black bee, I think, last week and the fact that, you yes. know, the, the Irish were having to import bees because their bees were dying and yeah. everything was going terribly wrong, but they seem to have Tell sorted it out. Tell us about this bee vaccine. What is it going to do? Well, there's a horrible chemical that's in most pesticides that are used to control insect populations around crops and it's called malathion. Right. And it, Gee, it, it sounds I know, it, it sounds really bad. Yeah. It sounds like something out of Tolkien. Yeah. Ah, arise ye of malathion. The Malathian um, Forge, three rings of power. It's terrible, yeah. And they were bad and yeah. they killed bees and lots of other things. And, of course, these pesticides get into the environment, they pass through the food chain, they kill mm. bees mm. and have this huge pro- problem with bee populations. Did I mention the bit where our existence is Yeah, 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 we die without the bees. I yeah, get yeah, it. Yep, I'm not trying yep, to kill all the bees. I, like, I, just, I really I want, want bee hives. I really want to make my own honey because yeah. um, I do eat it by I the jar. I don't go to their hives. They shouldn't come to my house. Ben! Anyway, yep. So... Um, a student at Cornell University in the United States, whose name's James Webb, was like, we keep talking about all these threats to bee populations. Why don't we talk about a few solutions? Hey. Yeah. James Webb, people like you, save the world. That's right. And he's invented a, a supplement slash vaccine, mm. which is the size of a pollen molecule right. um, that beekeepers can feed to bees that makes them immune to malathion. Wow. It's literally a bee vaccine. And he's called it bee immunity. 
And just like that, the spirit of Malathian withdrew into the Danny Dane. Yeah, the survival rate of B6 post to Malathian after they'd consumed the, the molecule was 0%. Wow. So it's highly successful. It, there are other chemicals that It really threaten. is the one ring to rule them all. Yeah, it is. It's the one ring to Have rule I them all. Have I flogged the Tolkien thing I love it. Now? It's just <laughs> never enough. And you know, I will forgive you your weirdness with bees because you love Tolkien so much. Um, but it's just such an amazing, it's just an amazing thing to do. And they're trialling like more, um, more experiments to protect bees from other chemicals that get into the environment, and it's safe and it doesn't have its nod experimental gene therapy. No. It's not going to create mega bees. It's going to keep the bees alive. So that's really happy news that's for great those of news. us who love bees and realise that our existence is pegged to theirs. Look, I think that's great. I also think it's really um, important for the listeners to realise just how influential Jeremy Corbyn has been on you. <laughs> Perhaps without you or he even really knowing it. So Ben's telling a story. So Ben and I were very enthusiastic about Jeremy Corbyn when he first became leader of yeah, the Labor Party. Great hopes. Because obviously Dashed upon the rocks we, of reality. we are socialists and he was speaking our language and then it all went so terribly wrong. And uh, it, it, we went to see Jeremy Corbyn speak with Naomi Klein, another person yeah, who I'm a great right. fan of, yeah, yeah. Um, when we were at the Paris Climate wow. Conference when we were causing trouble in France. And, you know, we a friend managed to get tickets for us to go and was so excited. And, Ben, you can take it from here because this is... Jeremy just... Corbyn gets up and we were expecting a great socialist speech and what we got was like 35 minutes about bees. <laughs> um, and I think at times he remembered that his advisors had told him to make it about agricultural diversity and biodiversity and he used those Intersectional economic circumstances. A couple of times. But he did really come back to bees and the, the man is a beekeeper himself. He enjoys uh, doing that, I guess. Uh, and it became really all about bees. So it's just, it's so lovely to see after all these years, Van, how much of an influence Jeremy Corbyn actually has had on you. I have, of course, emerged <laughs> as a massive Corbyn critic. Of course you have. Um, and, you know. And I want to acknowledge that. And that's why it's a joke, folks. That's why it's a joke. And I think, um, you know, we can all look back at times where we go, gee, I went to see that lineup. I really didn't know I was that into Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> You know, so look. Yeah, we've all, we've all made decisions. We've all been but, there. But the, the realisation that it was quite clear that he his advisors had said, Jeremy, try and not go down the bee route. Like, we know you care about bees, dude. And you could see him sort of with the, the internalised advisor within going, you're talking about bees again. Quick, get off bees. And with people who, you know, have been known to associate in political cir- circumstances, we we know that particular reaction for what it is. And it really, it was an alarming moment. I just thought, yeah, revolution's not happening tomorrow. No, but you know what? In some ways... On this issue, for these particular we are all circumstances, Jeremy Corbyn, except we are, we'll do something about anti-Semitism in the bee community, and hopefully we'll address the declining bee uh, populations. Folks, that is all I have for the week on Wednesday. I've we've told a funny little story about ourselves in there. Um, <laughs> Ben's not getting a hot tub. <laughs> uh, look, don't forget you can you can hear us or come and see us and hear us or see us in the street and say, "Hey, Van, I'll help you put in those beehives." At the Interesting um, at the interesting festival in Wagga Wagga this Saturday, uh, we will be uh, on stage at the Riverside at the um, Riverina Playhouse. Uh, sorry, yes, the Riverina Playhouse, which is by the river. Which is by the river. Yes, there. but the 
website where you can get all the information about the amazing, interesting festival is civictheatre.com.au, yep. uh, which is the Wagga Theatre, and they handle all the ticketing. And it is such a great lineup. Like, there is heaps of staff. So, and I love Wagga. Like, I love going there. I think it's got really great infrastructure. It has one of my favourite cafes in the world, the Curious Rabbit, that does the best coffee in Wagga and also does an amazing toasty, and they have heaps of literary events. It's got the Barranca Writers Centre. It's got the National Art Glass Collection, the most amazing gallery full of art glass, which is... Amazing. Yeah, actually amazing. And it's beautiful and has a river. Like, why wouldn't you go there? So, we are not sponsored by Wagga City Council. Uh, no. Um, that's However, if someone from the uh, Chamber of Commerce there would like to get in touch with us, <laughs> we're open to it. Uh, look, you do uh, do tune in, obviously, for that show. Uh, there won't be a separate weekend wrap this weekend because we'll be doing the week on Wednesday live Saturday version, uh, and we will make sure that's available to all of our listeners. Thanks for all the lovely comments that have come in over you know, the last week You know, you guys so send too. us emails and messages, and it just means the world to us because, you know, we do this show in our shed with the dog. We live in a, you know, small agricultural community and it's you can probably just, hear the birds. You can hear, probably hear the birds. And it's just amazing to think that, you know, there is this community of people who share our values and we get really excited by that. And for those of you who have written to us uh, saying you want to see uh, Julian Hill on the show or in the show, um, we're not ignoring that. Uh, I'll be reaching out to Julian shortly to see uh, if we can get a time for him to come and talk to us. Um, I've been, if you're listening, Julian, give us a call. Yeah, that's right, Julian. Come on, man. I know you're sitting there in question time just listening to this. Like, what are you, are you listening to a Morrison minister's answer? Yeah. Barnaby Joyce and his friends who think that early childhood education is outsourcing. So, and don't forget to share. I mentioned the bit where he tried to stop exclusion zones around reproductive health clinics. The man's a monster. Let's just, can we, we all, like, all, I mean, the whole party polls 4%. So, you know, like, he's Tried to start a conversation about the death penalty and calls himself Catholic. Okay. So, folks, do share this episode. You know, we've had really great feedback from everybody. Um, Do keep talking about these issues. Do let us know your thoughts. Uh, and, And remember, I love you, Vanny. Oh, I love you too, even if you're weird about bees. Bye. Bye.